Chapter Thirty Two of the Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Taylor becomes riled. By the time Bud Hemingway had finished, his grotesque expression of the delight that had seized him and had got to his knees and was grinning widely at Taylor, the horses of the Arrow outfit were running down the neck of the gorge, their hoofs drumming on the hard floor of the bottom, awakening echoes that filled the gorge with an incessant rumbling clatter that might have caused one to think a regiment of cavalry was advancing at a gallop. Bud turned his gaze up the gorge and saw them. "'Ain't they great?' he yelled at Taylor. The leap in Bud's voice betrayed something of the strained tenseness with which the man had endured his besiegement. And now that there was an even chance for him, Bud's old humorous and carefree impulses were again ascendant. He got to his feet, grinning, the spirit of battle in his eyes, and threw his shot at a Keats man far up on a hillside who had left his concealment and was running upward. At the report of the rifle, the man reeled, caught himself, and continued to clamber upward, another bullet from Bud's rifle throwing up a dust spray at his feet. Other figures were now running. The slopes of the hills in the vicinity were dotted with moving black spots, as the Keats men, also hearing the clattering of hoofs and divining that their advantage was gone, made a concerted break for their horses which they had hidden in a ravine beyond the hills. Taylor did not do any shooting. While Bud was standing erect among the pile of rocks, which had served as a shelter for him during the afternoon, his rifle growing hot in his hands, and picturesque curses issued from his lips, Taylor walked the spotted tail and tightened the saddle cinches. This task did not take him long. But by the time it was finished, the Arrow outfit had dispersed the Keats men, who were fleeing towards Dawes and scattered units. Bothwell, big and grim, rode to where Taylor was standing, his voice booming as he looked sharply at Taylor. "'I reckon we got here just in time, boss,' he said. "'They didn't get you or Bud?' "'No,' at Taylor's grin. "'Well, we're wiping them out, that's all. That Keats bunch can't run in no raw deal like that on the arrow. Not while I'm range boss. Law? Bah. Every damn man that runs with Keats would have stretched hemp before this if they'd had been any law in the country. A clean-up, huh? That's what they're trying to pull off. Well, wash my smoke. His voice leaping with passion, Bothwell slapped his horse sharply, and the animal leaped down the trail toward Dawes. Bothwell shouted to the other men of the outfit, who had halted at a little distance back in the gorge. "'Come a-runnin', you yaps! That ornery bunch can't get out of the section without hitting the basin trail.' Bothwell and the others fled down the gorge like a devastating whirlwind before Taylor could offer a word of objection. As a matter of fact, Taylor had paid little attention 
to Bothwell's threats. He knew that the big range boss was in a bitter rage, and he had been aware of the ill feeling that had existed for some time between Keats and his friends and the men of the Arrow outfit. But the deserved punishment of Keats was not the burden his mind carried at this instant. Dominating every thought in Taylor's brain was the obvious, naked fact that Carrington had struck at him again, that he had struck underhandedly, as usual, and that he would continue to fight with that method until he was victorious or beaten. And yet Taylor was not so much concerned over the blow that had been aimed at him as he was of its probable effect upon Marion Harlan. For, of course, the girl had heard of the charge by this time, or she would hear of it. It would be all the same in the end, and at a blow the girl's faith in him would be destroyed, the faith that he had been nurturing and upon which he had built his hopes. To be sure, he had Larry Harlan's note to show her, to convince her of his innocence, but he knew that once the poison of suspicion and doubt got into her heart, she could never give him that complete confidence of which he had dreamed. She might, now that Carrington had spread his poison, conclude that he had forged the note, trusting it to disarm the suspicions of herself and of the world. And if she were to demand why he had not shown her the note before, when she had first come to the Arrow, he could not tell her that he had determined never to show it to her, lest she understand that he knew her mother's sordid history. That secret he had promised himself she would never know, nor would she ever know of the vicious significance of that conversation he had overheard between Carrington and Parsons on the train coming to Dawes. He was convinced that if she knew these things, she would never be able to look him in the eyes again. Therefore, knowing the damage Carrington had wrought by bringing the charge of murder against him, Taylor's rage was now definitely centered upon his enemy. The pursuit and punishment of Keats was a matter of secondary consideration in his mind. Bothwell and the men of the outfit would take care of the man. But Taylor could no longer fight off the terrible rage that seized him over the knowledge of Carrington's foul methods. And when he mounted Spotted Tail and urged him down the trail toward the Arrow Ranch house, there was a set to his lips that caused Norton, who had brought his horse to a halt near him, to look sharply at him and draw a quick breath. Not speaking to Norton, nor to Bud, who had also remained to watch him, Taylor straightened Spotted Tail to the trail and sent him flying toward the arrow. Taylor looked neither to the right nor the left, nor did he speak to Norton and Bud, who rode hard after him. Down the trail at a point where the neck of the gorge broadened and merged into the grass level that stretched, ever widening, to the arrow, Spotted Tail and his rider flashed past a big cluster of low hills, from which came flame streaks and the sharp cracking reports of rifle, the yells of men in pain, and the hoarse curses of the men in the grip of the fighting rage. 
but Taylor might not have heard the sounds. Certainly, he could not have seen the flame streaks unless he glimpsed them out of the corners of his eyes, for he did not turn his head as he urged Spotted Tail on, speeding him over the great green sweep of grass at a pace that the big horse had never yet been ridden. Laboring behind him, for they knew that something momentous impended, Norton and Bud tried their best to keep up with the flying beast ahead of them. But the sorrel, ridden by Norton, and even the great rangy lion-hearted king, could not hold the pace that Spotted Tail set for them, and they fell slowly back until, when still several miles from the arrow, horse and rider vanished into the dusk ahead of them. End of chapter 32